0: On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we will be basking in the paternal glow of Bill Pullman in season two of The Sinner. We'll take a tour of the German clubbing scene in Amazon's Beat, where we will have our craft work cut out for us. Hey, eh? eh? hey. We'll also be spreading our love around with wild abandon, thanks to Louis Theroux's new polyamory documentary on BBC Two. And <laughs> while we're on the subject of spreading love around, we will also be discussing that scene from episode four of Sally Forever. And, oh, dear Lord, I don't even know where to begin. But, but, before we get into that, let's have some introductions. Uh, You should know us all already by now, but I am your host, James Dyer, and joining me today for a discussion of forbidden sexual acts are my two (laughs) televisual spirit animals. First up, we have pilot's editor-in-chief, Terry White, who, if I had to pigeonhole her, would probably be a kind of cat sort of, you know, nice and fluffy with a kind of that air of barely tolerating your existence, but not beyond bringing out the claws and kind of tearing your face off with a nary moment's notice. I
1: was gonna- say um cats are massive selfish bastards right so uh i do not take offense at what you say because i realize it's entirely correct and actually i have to say james i'm actually still reeling at your craft work reference which i think is probably the most modern reference i've ever heard come out of your mouth oh
0: they're well good well good chart toppers them them craft work (laughs)
1: For uh, you, everyone thinks I'm probably being sarcastic, but for you, that's yeah. like genuinely up to date, zeitgeisty, cutting edge. I mean, stuff. they've
0: been around from since the 80s, haven't they? So they 70s, have. 70s. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, to be fair to you, uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm, my, it counts as dad rock, I think. Yeah, my references are getting more, more, more concurrent every day. <laughs> uh, more con- concurrent, con- concurrent, contemporary, okay. contemporary. <laughs> Pick a c-word, not that one, <laughs> right? And you've heard him, but joining us as ever is Boyd Hilton, who. He says, looking at him, I'm going to say, is a kind of ethereal owl. Partly, Boyd, of course, because you're very, very wise, Uh, but mainly, mainly uh, because you watch more TV than every household in Northwest London combined. And I kind of imagine you at home on like a little perch with like huge eyes, just kind of drinking it (laughs) all in. You know, and also strange vision. Also, also you (laughs) you like Doctor Who. Oh. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Uh, right. Let's get into what we're watching this week. And where better to begin than with Sally Forever? Now, this has not aired yet. This is episode four of Sally Forever. None of you will have seen this. If you are going to watch it and wish to, shall we say, maintain the surprise, then do stop listening out and skip ahead to the timestamp, which you will find in the description, uh, which is where the spoilers end. If, however, you would like to know what is coming, then do listen on. Now, full disclosure here, Boyd and I had already seen this, Terry hadn't. We just paused recording the podcast for a moment so Terry could watch the scene and the facial expressions we were treated to were quite something to behold. Terry, how did you find it?
1: You mean when I was gipping and nearly being sick? <laughs> with the, oh. the,
0: the comedy gagging was...
1: Uh... Oh, God. that did not... Uh... I want to say that did not disappoint, but I feel like that's the wrong turn of phrase because it entirely disappointed and revolted, yeah. and was unlike anything I've ever seen on television.
0: It's it's not the most arousing <laughs> sequence, no. sequence in the world,
2: um, so yes. The incredible thing about it is, is that it's not. We should explain. So this this yeah. this uh, for episode four, when I interviewed uh, Judy Davis for um, uh, Pilot TV magazine, and then I hosted the Q and A launch. Um, a couple of weeks ago of the series, which is now on, on Skyland every Thursday. So this episode goes out, not this Thursday, next Thursday. Yes. And Anyway, she... See, I, was, I was obsessed at that point with the lesbian yes. um, sex scene. The towing one. The, the... The towing, yeah. et mm. I mean, I thought that was extraordinary, one of the most amazing sex scenes ever seen on TV. So I was asking all about that, and she said, well, wait till you see episode four. And I was like, oh, why? And then she said, because there's a scene in that that apparently has never been shown on TV before. And she's kind of like blithely talking about it. It's, you know, it's pretty incredible she's very like proud of how shocking and incredible it is and funny it's also you know obviously it's all part of the of making it as funny as possible but it absolutely does push back the boundaries yes. and it's particularly the fact that I mean it's right at the end of the episode it does bring together there are a small child you know other characters Dustin Demery Burns mm-hmm. plays this obnoxious film director who is with whom she engages in this act. And he I have to say, he deserves a medal because not only is he perfect in this role as this monstrous, egomaniac, entitled twat, um, but what he has to do in, the thing, in, in this scene is incredible as well. So the whole thing, and I'm kind of working around it, is jaw-droppingly astonishing. Yes. <laughs> the, I mean, what's funny is when
0: it begins and there's... I don't know, can we say cock-punching? Yeah. Uh, that was what yeah. I thought oh. it was. And oh. I thought, oh, cock-punching, that's what it is. And then that's no. really just the foreplay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For...
1: yeah, I mean, I do not have um, either a penis or testicles, <laughs> um, by the way. And I was, I mean, my womb shot up inside my lungs at that point <laughs> because I was thinking I can only imagine how painful that must be as a man. I mean, it's Sally Forever, I think, is... Is, it kind of feels like it came out of nowhere, probably not for boyd but and it's had a bit of a mixed reaction I have to say amongst my friends, like most people loved it, but a few people just thought it was too somebody said to me that it just felt too thin or you know there was no real kind of substance at the heart of it. I wildly disagree, but you kind of wonder how far they can keep pushing it in in certain respects because you don't want the shock and awe to overtake. There yeah. are some moments of real gentle humour yeah. and those smaller moments and brilliant observational stuff, which for me is the really killer stuff. But obviously, yeah, that's two really remarkable um, sex scenes for very different mm. reasons. Mm.
2: I think it is saying so. I have to say, so the, 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 particularly that character, the Dustin Demi Burns character, this um, extraordinarily spoiled um Man who treats his wife. By the way, so in in episode three you meet him for the first time, and he and and he's friends with um with the main character, and he is horrendous, and he treats his wife like shit, and she's got a new baby, and he's like, you deal with the baby. So there's there's a whole big setup about what he is like, and I do think without wanting to be pompous about it, I think Julia Davis is capturing a certain type. A very privileged, ultra privileged, spoiled man Mm. who is like wants to thinks he can do anything, and he is that man. And it's kind of a brilliant conception, the character, because I I totally believe in him. I, I, I totally believe that this, he's a famous film director, and that's key, that he, to find new excitement in his life he has to resort to this kind of thing, mm. <laughs> this moment mm. of grotesqueness at the end of this episode. It absolutely, I think it's totally believable, by the way. I mean, in, in, in an ex- exaggerated, comedic way. But he is the kind of guy who would be desperately searching for new ways to get off, basically.
1: Even her, I love, what I love about her character is... Um, she reminds me of, of like a couple of people I've met in my life oh, yeah. and it's that sense of you know being kind of super out there and really experimental yeah. and you know really in touch with my artistic side and guys I just love smashing boundaries and that and ultimately at the heart those people are often super conventional and super conservative mm. and super traditional and all that kind of you know breaking new boundaries by al- allowing what happens in that sex scene to happen to you just to prove how sexually free and up for anything you are so I think the observational stuff they feel like very real, modern-day yeah. people. the And that's, for me, where the mo, the kind of minutiae of the observations is really absolutely fucking spot on. Yeah. Um. But those, see, I mean, I would love, love, and I think James, we've talked about that. Can you imagine that pitch meeting where you're just like, <laughs> right, guys, there's this scene, and just, like, sketching that out, just, like, doing yeah. a little treatment on that to yeah. talk about exactly what's going to happen. I don't even know how you get past that conversation. <laughs> right to it actually happening and then getting greenlit to be put on the telly. Yeah. It's HBO.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, was, I mean, at the launch, um, the, someone from Sky Atlantic was there and he, the Sky Atlantic guy, the head of Sky Atlantic, was like, yeah, we did have to talk to our people <laughs> and talk to HBO and there was a quite, you know, can we show this thing? And Sky, I think, were more relaxed, slightly more relaxed about it than HBO, is what I gathered. <laughs> HBO were like, oh, but in the end, clearly, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to be on television. Now, We haven't
0: explicitly (laughs) said what this is. Um, Should we leave it for people's, you know... I mean, we put in a spoiler warning.
2: Yeah, yeah. Should should we be spoiling it? Yeah. Let's just say it involves... Bodily functions. Can we yes. We leave it in, yes. yes. Yeah. in which case, yeah. we maybe don't need the spoiler not I'm not sure if anyone's want to say what it is. <laughs> no. I mean, just in terms yes.
0: of decorum. There is, there are, there is, there is, yeah. It's just so like you'll know it when you see you will, it. You will, you will. You
1: Hang will. on, we've said a spoiler warning. We can't lie. Oh, okay. All right, go on then,
0: Terry. Terry, go on then. <laughs> pull, the, pull the band-aid off.
1: <laughs> do it. So, do it. So what is it? She sucks him <laughs> off. And She
0: punches him in the cock. She punches she him in the cock. She slaps his cock. Slaps his she cock. Bites his cock.
1: Bites it. Bite <laughs> the end off. Bite the end off. And then um he um co- does he actually come? You can't really tell. He's he, I, you I get the sense ask. he is. Hmm. Um, I think he needs
2: to do the other thing before yeah, he does. But yeah. I thought
1: they were doing con- concurrently. So Maybe. basically he says he wants to like come in a throat. Um, and then he wants to shit on her at the same time. And so I believe those two things were happening concurrently. Yes, I think you're right. um, But he stood over her, it's shot from behind, so what you see, and you see his face, and you see from behind, and uh, he's giving a running commentary about... The state in his colon at which the (laughs) feces is in, (laughs) and and then (laughs) at a very inopportune moment that involves his wife and kids, out it comes. All and it's a very very specific. Consistency. I, that, I, honestly,
0: honestly, I think that's the most upsetting yeah. part of it. And the
1: noise, the o- the audio is amazing. Because
0: you've got to yeah. worry. I think my biggest takeaway from that scene, more than anything, was this is a man who doesn't have enough fibre in his diet. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I'm going <laughs> to say. Well, because he was
1: saying it's a big one, so I was expecting a long, hard, solid thing, and it wasn't. It was definitely of the, like, a multi-brand kind of yeah. texture and the noise of it, there was squelching oh, oh, and there was, yeah. Oh,
2: I'm going to make myself gip again. Oh, but mm. oh, I, I but just, it, it was certainly very uh, well done, I think, in I terms think, of the choice of texture and all yeah, of that, yeah. yeah.
0: So, so that's a thing that we can recommend that you all... <laughs> watch uh, and enjoy uh, when that in fact airs next week
1: but I think it's going to be this is probably going to be all anybody talks about for the next couple of weeks it's it's a genuinely uh, milestone moment in TV I'm I'm sure
0: Sky are very proud to have been the ones to pass that
1: I'm sure I think
0: they are so uh, yeah. let's go from number two to number nine. Oh, uh, see what I did there. <laughs> uh, the uh, the could live, be the greatest <laughs> link in the history of podcasts. Thank you. Uh, the live episode of Inside Number Nine, which I have not watched, for I have never seen an episode of Inside James. Number Nine. But I'm led to believe it
2: was very good indeed. Have you watch too many animated Star Wars series. I mean, like not <laughs> enough Inside Number Nine. There's no, no way around that. No. It was. I thought it, in many ways it was the it was annoying because we had because obviously it was a live thing and and the details were kept very minimal. Uh, and then when you actually saw it, you realised why. So in last week's podcast, we knew it was arriving. We couldn't really talk about it because we didn't know what was going to happen. And then but it came arrived on the Sunday and then we came out on the Monday. So it was too late. So now, we're, well, I think we've both seen it. Haven't mm-hmm. you seen it? I watched it live on, on 10 o'clock uh, last Sunday, pre- previous Sunday. And what was... It felt like the culmination of of, of Inside Number 9 so far. So there's been four series. In fact, I did a little thing in um, the current issue of Pilot TV magazine where I mentioned the previous kind of feats and tricks they'd done. So they did a silent episode. They did um, an episode filmed entirely on CCTV. So they do, they set themselves challenges regularly. You know, how can we test ourselves and how can we... And this one was live. But not only that, it was a postmodern intertextual thing in which after the first so the first kind of 10 minutes or so was a story of a guy arriving um, back home and encountering spooky things in the local graveyard and cooking an egg in his microwave and it was all fairly standard it was felt like it was building up to just a story that was being filmed live then there was a technical hitch in quotation marks it cut to the bbc 2 current, newly recently redesigned logo, and the actual announcer who'd announced the start of the show and was announcing everything that night on BBC 2, telling us there was a technical hitch and they'd come back to as soon as possible. Then there were more hitches, the sound went, it cut out, and then they started decided to show an old inside number nine, the fact the silent one, the classic silent episode, and then right, just almost, just so you barely noticed in that, in, in, a, in a shot from that original episode, there was a little kind of ghostly figure in the background, obviously it wasn't there in the original version of the episode. And that's when I thought, so initially everyone, I think, watching it thought, oh, there has been a technical and it's live, it could happen.
1: Yeah, and they were, <laughs> and they were basically telling they, that line on yeah. Twitter, so they, they tweeted, were on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So can
2: you see us on TV? Yeah. You know, Rhys Smith saying that. It was brilliantly conceived. So the whole thing, and the idea of the whole thing was that Granada Studios, where they're filming, it, has been uh, taken over by... And there is that genuine theory, by the way, that Granada Studios is haunted. Yes. So they had clips of actual shows as part of the theory that Granada Studios is haunted going back, you know, decades, interspersed with, the, with, the, with them trying to deal with the idea that there are ghostly apparitions and something's going horribly wrong. And in the end, they, you know, they're being about to be killed in this scenario. It was so beautifully done. And so convincing that after, after 10 minutes, a lot of people tuned out because yeah. they thought that genuinely there was, it wasn't going to come back and they were showing an old episode. So what was the point of watching that? So the not only, so they had to get the BBC to agree to let them to do an incredibly convincing, <laughs> fake technical hitch that meant that a lot of the audience was not going to carry on watching. I mean, I, I get A, the boldness of that conception. Mm. The fact that they went through with it, the BBC agreed to it, and in the end, it was just so brilliantly done. And genuinely was scary. scary because yeah. they very, very effectively... Properly took it seriously, and it and a very chilling, and it was very similar to Ghost Ghostwatch, which was this classic mm. um, show back in the eighties, which was a p- kind of pretend um, ghost hunt thing before those, you know, those things that happen now on living TV, etc. Mm. It was, it was with Sarah Green proper presenters pretending to have finding ghosts in someone's house. So it, was, it dealt with all of that. It was very self-referential, but it actually worked brilliantly, mm. I felt. I-, I absolutely loved it.
1: Well, and I actually didn't watch it live. I watched it on catch-up. Oh, okay. And it's interesting because it, I feel like there are a two two different audiences for this show, right? Those lucky people who watched it live. And I was reading that a million... It started off with a million people watching, and it dropped down to 700,000 because they lost almost a third of their viewership because yeah. they thought it was a genuine problem. And I was at um, home working... And I had Twitter up and I could see it all re- kicking off on Twitter. And I was thinking, oh, you know, oh, I felt a bit gutted to be missing it live. But thank God I had work to do. You know, I'm not missing anything. And then as it unraveled on my Twitter feed and it was clearly a part of the show and was all just, as you say, this meta brilliant piece of live television. Then when I went and actually watched it the night after, I felt gutted that I'd missed it. And do you know what? As a validation of... Live television and engaging with people directly through your TV screen in real time, as you say, the like logistics to get that signed mm. off by the BBC. The, I mean, I can't even und- the process just to say there's been a technical hitch and what that would roll out and what kind of things that triggers and allowing that to be used yeah. in a kind of fake way. I think is amazing. And then when it when the show was actually on, yeah, it was terrifying. It was funny. It was them at their creative best. I mean probably properly the best bit of live tv You've seen on British television,
2: like yeah. an extraordinary yeah. feat. Yeah, a couple, the, the, the annoying thing was, and I know, and I think that this, I think the programme makers would would say this, it, it should have been on Halloween itself, yeah. it on the 31st. And you know why it couldn't have been? Because the bloody apprentice you're fired has to go out straight after the apprentice well, also, on a was Wednesday me night about at television. which yes. again was yes. another like yes. meta,
1: like. Right, I yeah, love so that. they
2: referred to that, but I think they genuinely were, obviously they would love to, yeah. but it, I think it would have made a bigger impact because they've, you know, it, it, why not actually on Halloween? Mm people are desperate for scares and would be watching. So the fact that it was on a Sunday night before Halloween was slightly annoying. But um, those are just... There was a, there's a brilliant piece, I think it's in broadcast, uh, I think it's online, where the producer goes through some of the changes. So they had to get... For example, for the continuity announcer, there's a different continuity announcer right. on England, Wales and Scotland. So each one had to do their own live cut to the specific continuity announcers in the different nations to to keep the consistency and the realism of it going. Just incredible stuff. Yeah, And I agree about the live TV point. It was just it was just a kind of celebration mm. of that really. Of mm. that, you know, let's let's do this thing for these for our fan base. Let's get them watching this thing live. And it was just a massive Joyful. I watched. I, before I commented, I had to go and watch it again on the iPlayer just to be sure to myself that it actually it was what I thought it was. Mm. And then afterwards, was like, okay, they have done that, and that is what it is. And yeah, it's all been deliberate. Just but I say it,
1: commun- communal experience, yeah. and we talked. We've talked about this on the pod before, which is kind of the the increasing lack of those communal. Um, experiences that I used to have I mean my telly watching as a kid was all around Saturday Night TV and the whole kind of nation yeah. tuning in to watch one thing and watching it together and this just for me takes that a step further to see people being involved in that where they're almost part of the show um, and watching it all unfold through social um, reminded me of the good of Twitter as well I have to say um, it really yeah, did yeah. Um, but yeah it was I wish we, I could go back in a time machine and enjoy it all live again it's yeah. one of those things that you've. I felt gutted that I'd missed um, and it was amazing when I Watched it, but to have been there through that entire thing, trying to work out what was real and what wasn't, and then just the skill. I think they they are two of our greatest writers, creatives, TV creatives. I think they're incredible. Yeah,
2: because it's a
0: storied history, isn't there, of uh, of sort of weekly dramas doing a live episode throwing it into the mix. E.R. Yeah. Yeah. famously did one, yeah. uh, and obviously John Wells worked on that and then did it again in the West Wing yeah. for the debate between Alan Alder and uh be uh, a West Wing reference. Of course, East but they ended. did too. They
2: did, they did a, yeah, an East Coast and a West a Coast recording yeah. of that. Corey. So.
1: Yeah, but that's the what... plane crashing in Amidaiole. Everyone yeah. remember that?
2: Yeah. So, but that was the genius of it, really. Is that oh, you thought so? Yeah. They're just going to do that. It's just going to be a live of uh, you know of their of an incendiary story. But the ambition of, of of taking that idea and turning into what they did with it. Mm. I bumped. Name drop. I bumped into Rishi. Of course you did. A week before. I mean, when you say I bumped into <laughs> yeah. were you sitting watching <laughs> no. it with him? <laughs> I went to a screening, a, ra- a film screening of Stan and, Lo- Stan and Ollie. And Rishi was-, was there because he's a huge fan of Stan and Ollie. He was going to sit and I bumped into him and it was week, a week to go to the live. So I said, how's, it how's the preparations going? And he went, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I think you will really enjoy it. I was thinking, he knows what we're doing. Just this- to be yeah. clear, your in inverted commas screening was in fact the
0: Black Tie Closing <laughs> Gala of the London Film Festival, no, 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 where no, you no. were there with Rishi. It was a separate screening. Right. Anyway,
2: um, what I'm saying is he was like smiling. I felt like that, now I feel like I want to go back in time where he knew what, what all of this whole thing, the whole joy that he had, the yeah. secret joy he had in mind, had him, he had planned. But in the
1: confidence, I just think the balls mm. and the confidence yeah. to be able to pull that off. and Presume that people are going to understand the spirit in what it's meant and not be like eye rolling, kind of all those, you know. I just imagine like yeah. those London bloody creatives messing yes. about. Well, do you know what I mean? None of that. It was done in su- with such skill and such precision and with such good grace. And then you've actually got an incredible show to back it up. That I think it just worked beautifully. And any bit of that could not have connected with the audience.
2: Yeah, agreed.
0: Well, watch I it. haven't seen that. <laughs> uh, what I did watch, however, when I probably should have been watching something else, was the final episode of the x-files which has been sitting on my to watch list <laughs> for about a year and i finally summoned up the fortitude to sit through it uh did you watch this did you finish the so the 11th you know season i didn't know and, 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 and i'm a bit of an x-files fan so the fact that i haven't watched it yet, i does. started
1: well, i started that yeah. season and never made it speaks to volumes the end. and
0: i had the same thing and i i had two left and so i've just watched the last two and it i mean i've sat through obviously the first what is it 10 seasons was it nine or ten no it's nine and then there was ten which is the miniseries, and then yeah. 11, which is the second miniseries. And now, <laughs> Gillian Anderson is done, though Chris Carter maintains he wants to bring it back oh, regardless. Give it up. Uh, but it doesn't, I mean, it, it kind of resolves ish. It doesn't entirely resolve, it kind of ties up a bit.
1: Are they so. out there? Who cares anymore?
0: <laughs> it is a bit like that I, honestly it was it was it was a very sad experience for me watching that because that mm. show i mean don 't get me wrong, it had always had a shitty episodes, mm. but it was absolute genius at its best, mm. and I just feel it had fallen so far, and I think the eleventh series just really wasn 't good, and they seem to have lost sight of what made that show great, and I think part of it is their insistence on Pushing the mythology episodes because everyone remembers X Files for you know for the mythology and the black oil and the cigarette smoking man. I think what they always forget is that was never the X Files strength. It was always at its best with its incredibly inventive case file episodes. Yeah, like the genius ones from like you know humorous ones like Jose Chung from Outer Space or like Darkness Falls or Tombs. Those really mm. creepy, genuinely frightening ones or Home. Uh, some so so many really good episodes in there, um, and I just feel that yeah, I th- I think at this point, sorry Chris. Just, sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. Just, just let it go. <laughs> yeah. Let the aliens take it. Let them experiment on it. Let them take it away and anally probe it. Do whatever it is they're doing. But don't bring it back. You know, Fair enough. I think I think X-Files has run its course.
2: Did you see Frank Spotnitz, who's was involved, wasn't he? Why, was he at the screening of Stanley? and no, as well? No, he was on um, this BBC Two on Newsnight had a special episode. Did you see this, Terry? All about the future of TV. It was a very... No. Yeah, it was a very pilot TV I kind of like, special.
1: I try not
2: watch Newsnight anymore. Oh, do you? Oh, just... It's- well, okay, fair yeah. enough.
1: Don't get me started on the BBC's political what uh, and Well, it was even-handed. weird. They asked me <gasps> to go on
2: Newsnight once, so that should speak volumes. I went on Newsnight once. Anyway, <laughs> this was a special all about the future and present of TV, about Netflix, the challenge of... In fact, it was all about the challenge of Netflix to the BBC. That was what it was about. But they had loads of like random producers, like Asher on there, and Frank Sponitz was on there, kind of representing America and American wow. TV. It was weird. It was really weird and, and very frustrating in classic Newsnight style like it was all, over the place and they didn't really mm-hmm. kind of come up with it but in theory and they
1: said here we've got an expert who doesn't believe in television just for us to be even-handed
2: <laughs> almost yeah almost oh, yeah. the subtext is right yeah. <laughs> anyway francis <laughs> was on and it was weird
0: the last thing i wanted to say very very quickly was i finally finished the third season of daredevil and something i forgot to mention when i was banging on about this last week was uh daredevil episode four. Oh yeah which has the one in it which is the single take single shot which is 10 minutes and 43 seconds and involves a prison riot, a fight, and some quite heavy plot-driven dialogue as well, all done in a single take. So this is kind of a a riff on the season one corridor fight, which... To be fair, it wasn't actually all done in one take. That's a few cuts sort of stitched together with CGI trickery. This genuinely is 10 minutes and 43 seconds of one single take. It was, I believe, their seventh take, their seventh and last take of the day. They had no more time for any for any more. But reading, uh, so it's the episode director, which is Alex Garcia Lopez. It was his idea to do this as a single shot. Uh, He was reading this heavy play and he thought, you know what, I think we could do this. And it is insane. It is insane because there are points where they swap Charlie Cox out for stuntmen and then swap him back in and they do it all seamlessly without ever cutting away. It really is an absolute masterpiece. So if for no other reason, and if you have no intention of actually watching Daredevil Season 3, just go to Episode 4 and watch the bit where he visits the prison.
2: Do you think people are especially putting all their sort of special things in episode fours? Of I think that it's is, yeah. I mean,
0: he doesn't poo on anyone at no. any point. Okay. All right. um, that I noticed. No. I mean, perhaps that bit no. was a different take. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, he does all sorts of other okay. things, and uh, and it's very good. And that's what we're watching, people. Should we talk a little bit about news? Yes, news. Uh, lots of things have been happening this week. Lots and lots of things in the Game of Thrones. Universe. Oh, yes, yeah. Which I guess is the is the big news from this week. So HBO had obviously been con- had they had obviously commissioned a prequel show to run after Game of Thrones finishes, as of course it finishes next year. And this is kind of being put together by George R R Martin, the author of the books, and Jane Goldman, who is screenwriting for this. And it is to be called The Long Night. Now, Boyd, yes, you of course know. The long night lasted a generation. Did it? And uh takes place thousands of years before yes. the events yes. of Game of Thrones.
2: I do know that. I also know that Naomi Watts is, is going to be the lead. Yes, that's right. She's going to be in it. As is Paul Docks Josh Whitehead. Yes, he plays huge, huge.
0: He plays huge,
2: huge, huge Armitage. Huge, huge Armitage. <laughs> huge is known in Paul He's very good in Paul I'm a big fan of his work. And I mean, Naomi Watts. Can't, yeah. I mean. Good. She's great.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's one. So that was that, that pause was yeah. just an appreciation of Naomi Watts. So I think that's exciting casting. She plays a charismatic socialite hiding a dark secret. Wow. I mean, interesting. I'm, do you know what? The most exciting thing for me about this whole thing is, I mean, I like, I, I mean, big game of Thrones is that Jane Goldman's doing it. Well, She's I was just going to say, yeah.
1: that's what I'm really excited about, Jane Goldman, because she doesn't create kind of the perfect strong woman. She creates very flawed, very real women. Yeah. And I love her. I love her style. So I think yeah, it's... Same. Yeah. I think we'll see something completely different.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because this seems to be quite... I mean, you know, I don't know. It, could, I, it feels mythology-led. The only reason I say that is because the Long Nights are a very specific period in kind of Westerosi history. Uh, this is a period, it is, hmm. I want to say, 8,000 years before Aegon's Conquest. Uh, and it's the period when the white walkers kind of first appear and were ultimately driven back by the very first members of the night's watch and it's actually in response to that <sighs> that the wall <laughs> that the wall is built
1: blah so, blah oh, blah okay. blah 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 blah
0: that's Thank interesting you, Terry. so the one i've got <laughs> so this is today, pre this is pre wall was built. pre wall okay but my th- my interest in this is i think it's an odd thing to focus on essentially an origin of the White Walkers because A, we've kind of already covered that in Game of Thrones and B, we are up to our absolute asses in White Walkers at the moment so it feels a strange thing to then jump into more of the same also, this feels quite mythology-led and I think the strength of Game of Thrones is in its kind of dynastic, labyrinthine kind of relationship between the characters wow. and, and I think they need that you need incredibly complex, convoluted character arcs you know, fascinating people in there maybe they will have that, Martin is involved but bear in mind he's spent decades He's, putting Game of Thrones together.
1: Well, he's co-writing it or co yeah. it with her, right? Yeah. So he's, yeah,
0: also co-writing it while finishing the fucking books as well. I'll so up on the, the books. man yeah. is busy. It's all about TV. The man now. has shit to do. Uh, so I'm incredibly excited about this and I think it will, if nothing else, look absolutely stunning because uh, they will spend a fortune on it uh, and I have very high hopes for it. But really, you know, not being funny, George, just please, <laughs> just, I want to read the next book. You're killing just me. Just give here. it up. was
2: never going to happen. Anyway,
0: so that's the long night and yeah. it has indeed been a long night.
2: Um, what else have we got? Could I mention FX? Do you know about this FX BBC deal? No. no. So the FX channel in America, I think is the kind of it's the slightly unsung hero of current great TV. Oh yeah, absolutely. To do American Crime Story, you know, and um, a lot of the kind of really interesting sexy, unusual stories that aren't quite as mainstream as stuff that goes out on Fox, goes out on the FX show, and they've done this new deal with the BBC mm. in which BBC 2 is going to get the first run of all of their big shows, and if you look at the list of shows, oh, really? right, I'll just tell you some of them, it's incredibly exciting Pose, which is Ryan Murphy's story of mm. um, the LGBTQ community yep. in the 80s, they're yep. going to show that. Mayans, you're yep. excited to oh. My intent, has it
0: got an air date now?
2: No, but it'll be soon on BBC oh, Two. Very exciting. The untitled Fossey Verdon project, which is the story of Bob Fossey and his wife. All right, fascinating. Devs, which is Alex Garland's T V series, that's gonna be on. These are some, what we do in the shadows, the yeah, TV yeah, spin-off yeah. of that brilliant comedy film, these are all incredibly exciting projects that all are coming from FX. I think like people talk about HBO, mm. Showtime, Netflix, etc. But actually, FX is absolutely up there. Oh, I love FX. Out, is, yeah. Obviously,
0: it's where the Shield came from, Sons
2: of Anarchy is yeah. FX as well. They do tons of so great it, stuff.
1: Hang on, it runs first on BBC. Too. So it'll
2: be on obviously these are they'll all run on America, but yes. UK. See. First on BBC
1: Which 10. is great because I often think the problem with effects is actually just the channel it's on. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like Agreed. it's when you I was I can't even remember I was watching something the other day and I was like, God, I didn't realise <laughs> they had that. And I think it's it's one of those where they just need a bigger, better, more prestigious platform in some respects, yeah. and that would be perfect.
2: Yeah, and I think it's good that BBC still, even though you know people slag them off for showing too much American stuff, when it's this quality stuff, I think it's yeah. great that it goes to as big an audience as it can. So I'm excited. Very exciting.
0: There have been a few interesting new TV uh, announcements sort of tied to the film world. Edge of Seventeen is getting a teen drama series, the Haley Steinfeld Mm. uh, film. Have you seen that? No. Yeah, it's good. It's very good. But uh, YouTube, you (laughs) haven't seen it, so you don't care. But YouTube have ordered a pilot based on that drama. Uh, It's not going to feature Hayley Steinfeld or indeed her character, but it's to tell all new stories about two high school friends and kind of it's about pressures of everyday life and whatnot. But that's a really good film. So, you know, if they can can capture a hint of what made that good, then this should be very good as well. Also spinning off from the film world, Disney have announced yet another reason why we're all going to have to subscribe Mm. to their uh, new subscription service with a Falcon and Winter. Soldier TV series, otherwise known as working title Caps Boyfriends.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Catchy. Yeah, I think yeah.
0: so. I made that bit up. Yeah, no, this, so, this, so this is so I've got the, the Loki and Scarlet Witch thing they've talked about. Now it's uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. This one really does interest me because Anthony Mackie as Falcon and Sebastian Stan as Winter Soldier are absolutely fucking hilarious in, for example, well, Winter Soldier and Civil War, just when they're both sort of competing for Cap's mm. affections. Yeah. And there's one where he's, he's uh, Cap's talking to Emily van Camp, and they're sitting in the back of the car, just sort of like bickering with each other over who's like who's Cap's real bestie. Uh, so I think that the, the chemistry between those two is great. I think that will be loads of fun. So yes, big excitement for Falcon and Winter Soldier, a.k.a. Cap's Boyfriends.
1: Can I talk about watership down? Yes. Uh, which is um eyes. <laughs> burning wow. like fire. Is it fire? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay, good. So um,
0: depressing. So,
1: <laughs> it's gotta be fire. So it is, and I was fire. Yeah, yeah I suppose burning you would not burn like no. what?
2: It's just got to be fine, hasn't it? It It really really has. has.
1: So, I actually I was on another podcast recently called The Fear, and you talk about the things. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? Another podcast called The Fear. Are we seeing
0: other people? We are seeing other people. Is that what we're saying?
1: Several. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm appalled.
1: And we talked about things, great fears and phobias, and I talked at great length about Watership Down, which when I was a kid, was a film that scared the living shit out of me. And so I was very excited to see that it's coming to telly. Um, so it's a co-production between BBC and Netflix, a Christmas miniseries. I think it's a two-parter. It's already got Nicholas Holt, Olivia Colman, John Boyega, McAvoy, um, James McAvoy, those, linked to it. And this week they announced that uh, Peter Capaldi, Gemma Chan and Taryn Edgerton, an Empire favourite, are also going to be voicing as well. So... I can't wait for this. It makes me excited that a whole new generation of kids is going to have the shit scared out of them, as it should rightly be. And no word yet on when. I think it's probably going to be that bit between Christmas and New Year.
0: Wow, when we really need to be emotionally drained
2: and dragged through the muck.
1: That's what Christmas is for, James.
2: Yeah, and Sam Smith is doing a the theme tune. If
1: that. That I didn't want to talk about
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just you saying. More... You go from bright eyes
1: burning like fire, probably, to Sam Smith.
2: Yeah, I know, I agree, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has got a similarly high voice to it uh, It feels like they've, sh- they've chosen the person who's got the really high voice. On pitch. Yeah, on pitch, yeah. As Art Garfunkel had when he did.
1: We love your pitch.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. So that's the rabbits taken care of. There was also a
0: picture this week. We finally saw... Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia. And they clearly put this out thinking people would lose their minds. And they did, but perhaps not in the way they thought. This is the image that launched a thousand memes. We've seen uh, (laughs) Christopher Lambert from uh, Mortal Kombat has been doing the rounds on, uh, on Twitter, as has basically anyone with long flowing... Let's be honest, slightly shit white wig. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, this was disappointing. I'm curious as to what happens here. Because clearly they unveiled this and it has clearly not gone down well. I would have thought <laughs> the smart move here would be to rethink the look slightly and actually maybe adjust How
1: much it. can they really?
0: I don't know because I don't know at what point, like, what have they shot? Like, where mm. is the production at the moment? I have no idea. But it's hard. Like, I'm a big fan of the game and I'm a big fan of the way he looks in the game. He yeah. does not look like that. He's supposed to have sort of sort of lambent yellow sort of cat-like slit pupil eyes. He's kind of grizzled. He's got big scars on his face and Henry Cavill is, just looks like Superman in a long silver wig. It's not great. And, he's, I mean, and again, he's even, even the clothing, even the uh, the sort of padded jacket he's wearing doesn't really feel like yeah. Geralt. He's not wearing the wolf pendant which Geralt is famous for. All he does is like, drink a potion.
1: Somebody said, you know, he looks like he's he looks like Henry Cavill cosplaying. Yeah, which it does. Yeah, and he's really badly. He's really it's pretty. It's shit Comic Con. He is really pretty. That's the problem. Yeah. and it is. You know, you put them next to each. I'm looking at them right now, and they are uh, kind of worlds apart.
0: But people yeah. like they were fan Channel Five
1: cosplay soft porn.
0: Someone version. very early on did a did a kind of a fan mock up using Photoshop of making Cavill into Geralt and it looked amazing. And it's so much better than the real thing. And I just think this, this, this feels like a bit of a shame. And Cavill himself must feel it too because he's mm. a big fan of the games himself. So there's got to be a point where he looked at himself and went, shit.
1: But also, it's a small thing, but he doesn't have a beard. And I no. think the beard is, yeah. like, integral. It seems mad to me. And that's an immediate way to make somebody look less handsome well, and more great. So
2: much cavil facial hair controversy, yeah. isn't there, always? Well, Terry, when if you'd... Uh, if, I
0: mean, as, of course, I'm sure you did. When you spent many hours playing The Witcher 3, you will, of course, have enjoyed the fact that Geralt's beard grows dynamically as you play. What? And if you don't shave, he can get quite a fulsome Father Christmas-esque bushy white beard. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Full blush. That's right. Are,
0: yeah. you, uh, are you school of the griffin?
1: School <laughs> you of gonna the ask cat me if I was full or school at of point? the bear? I was like, say? what does that mean? Yeah. Um, the middle one.
0: Ah, school of the griffin. Good choice. Good choice. Agile, <laughs> but quite hardy.
1: There you go. That's yeah. me in a yeah. nutshell.
0: Well, I, I would make another well odd joke, but I, I've made it before. <laughs> It, oh, see, oh, sorry, boy. That's one of I the mean, Witcher glyphs that they use oh, for their okay. magic is odd. Okay. Another one is Igni Fine. And Fine. And shall we move on? Yeah.
2: Okay. Reviews? <laughs> Let's jump into reviews. Can I very quickly mention one more thing? Okay. Which is that Peter Jackson's incredible World War One documentary, "They Shall Not Grow Old," is on Sunday, yes, 9:30 on BBC Two. Yes, watch that. It is one of the greatest things. It's
0: extraordinary what yeah. they've done with that, colorizing the black yeah. and white footage. It is incredible. Yeah, I mean, there you go. that's a public service announcement. Yeah, it's 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 the Star Wars special editions of uh, <laughs> World War Two <II> documentaries. <laughs> World War One, even. Oh yes. Get yes, your sorry, World War on. Sorry, right. sorry, sorry. Uh, see, it's just my. I naturally went straight for the sequel. <sighs> yeah. Where, of course, as we all know, the Typical. original World War was of course the best
2: yes yes
0: anywho reviews yes first up the return of anthology crime drama The Sinner which sees the start of an all new story as Bill Pullman's detective Harry Ambrose returns to his hometown to investigate the case of a 13 year old boy who may or may not have poisoned his parents Boyd yes did he do it but don't (laughs) don't tell us (laughs) Did you, I know you know, but don't tell us because that'll well, ruin it for everyone else.
2: Well, funnily enough, the big kind of concept I think of the, of the Sinner, both seasons one and two, um, is that you think it seems to be the case that you think you see the killer kill it doing the killing right at the start, and it's kind of like an open and shut case. And then the intrigue really is: oh, what does it? What really happened? How did this uh, murder? Uh, occur. Why did it occur? It's like a more of a why done it than a who did it. So the first series, which was all about Jessica Beale's character killing someone in broad daylight on a beach, stabbing them multi- repeatedly with a fruit. Carving implement, and a pair it's knife. called a knife, a pair isn't it? A, there you pair go. Knife. a pair knife, and uh, then it all then it was like, why is she suddenly randomly killed this person? And then the whole thing was about Detective uh, Ambrose came in uh, to kind of explore and find out exactly what had gone on. She exec produced the whole thing, uh, Jessica. Bill, she's not in this series, as mm. you say. So he's the link. He, his detective character is back. We love Bill Pullman. Absolutely, just dripping in soulfulness and authenticity. He just brings a kind Much of heavy weight. Boy. Thank you. I am the Bill Pullman of TV <laughs> reviewing. Yeah. Um, and he he arrives back in his hometown. He's called in by the local cops to yeah. his hometown who need help because this this little boy, this 13-year-old, has apparently poisoned, that's what we see in the, right at the beginning of the season, the, his, his parents, in quotes, parents, I use the word in quotes because there are, there's then some doubt, slightly minor spoiler, I won't say much more than that. So, so it seems to be the case. This thirteen-year-old has killed, his poisoned his parents. So, why has he done that? What's the situation? There is a connection to a local religious cult. This is the key thing. So, it's largely about what is going on with this bloody religious cult, which is run by the great, the unbeatable Carrie Coon, who is one, my favorite TV actor. In the leftovers, moment. she the is the leftovers. Phenomenal, incredible. And so, what is her involvement? She arrives. At the, I mean, and she says she's got some connection to the whole to the whole story as well. So, from my point of view, I've now watched four episodes. The four episodes that were given to us as preview on uh, by the lovely people at Netflix. The story, it's the storytelling. So, season one. I mean, if if you kind of if you describe the this kind of show, it's a crime drama. It's a murder mystery. It's got detectives in it. You know, it's it does it feels fairly standard and routine stuff. But the storytelling is so meticulously riveting. Every scene is working incredibly hard to draw you into the characters and the storyline. And it's so beautifully done. And I, I feel this is even more excitingly um, thrilling and compulsive viewing than the first season. I love the first season. I love Carrie Coon's character, this quite kind of seemingly horrible, ruthless s- manager of some kind of religious cult. And you don't really know the details. and You find out what Jesus is that's going on. I think, and Bill Pullman is just fantastic. So I love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant.
0: And this drops on Friday on Netflix. Yes. They, do they all drop?
2: They do. All drop. All, yeah. Every single one So they're one quite clever. So this, they're quite, Netflix acquires The Sinner from I think it's the USA channel in yes. America. Mm. And so the USA channel shows it on a weekly basis in the, back in the summer. Netflix waits till it's all there in one go so we can all binge on it now. Mm. And it, what a binge it is. It's, it's so addictive. It's one of the great binges, I think.
1: I, I have to say, I was really suspicious about the second season because the first season was a proper self-contained story. As we talked about Jessica Biel at the heart of it. Why did she stab this guy? And I had fallen in love with the first season because I was watch- I was in the States. It hadn't yet arrived on Netflix, hadn't been bought by Netflix. And I, um, I saw it on TV there one night and I loved it so much. And it was right near the end that I stayed up all night, went on the USA Channel's um, website in the US and watched them all. I think I didn't go to bed at all that night. And it was so brilliantly done and shocking and surprising and went to some really dark places his character Bill Pullman's character is fascinating as you say the storytelling is just done with such supreme craft and confidence and I was honestly just thinking I can't see this working for a second season I was so engaged in the story of Jessica Beale's character but actually there are thematic threads that really work for me and I've seen two, two episodes of um, the second season because it deals with, you know, it is about this young boy and did he poison his parents and, and this cult, and, but it actually deals with matters of community of the responsibility of community family trauma and actually the sinner season one was all about trauma and family and escaping that trauma and um the sense of kind of society and and how individuals exist in society when they carry that kind of trauma and all of those things that made it much bigger and more compelling than just as you say a kind of bog standard crime thriller drama are all there for me i'd have to say even but the cinematography is beautiful it's mm. shot exquisitely so i am fully on board after putting aside my initial kind of concerns with season two and if you enjoyed season one of the sinner season two is going to tick every box again for you
0: i have not seen the sinner because <laughs> i didn't have time this week because i've been in hungary but i can i can reveal a bit of tv related trivia from my trip to Budapest. And that is, if you walk around uh, near the, the government centre in Budapest, you will see a bronze statue of Colombo. Uh, well, we've seen the pictures, haven't we? Yeah, you know, with on his dog. Social and, media. And I looked up on this, and it's because apparently uh, Peter Falk's mother was Hungarian. <laughs> and an apparently famous Hungarian politician, very tenuously, almost certainly apocryphally, claims a sort of a familial connection to Peter Falk. And so he commissioned this statue of Colombo and dog to be put in the middle of Budapest
2: I mean that is beautiful <laughs> really. yeah but it speaks
0: volumes I was there and
2: that's literally the go? only bit of sightseeing I did do you think people go all the way to Budapest just to see the yes. sightseeing
0: yes yeah. that's what I did yeah. <laughs> yes I went I there want to go. I saw him mm. and I've, I'm done with Hungary okay. now. So Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Also out this week, uh, Louis through's Altered States takes a look at Group Love and a polyamory episode, which Terry knows a lot about. It's really when you when you have a committed relationship to, to one podcast, but you decide that's not enough and it's not fulfilling. So you decide to sleep around a bit and appear on a few other podcasts, maybe in a guest spot here, a guest spot there, maybe a semi-hosting gig there. And before you know it, you're in a polyamorous relationship with God knows how many podcasts. You are, Aren't you, you sleeping with Empire every week? Yeah. In their podcast, by the way. Well, Well, I like to think of myself as a professional polygamist in this particular situation.
1: You can't pin me down with your conventional rules of patriarchal (laughs) control. Um, Hello, Altered States. So this is Louis Theroux's new three-part documentary series, which um, is called Altered States. And they say it deals with love, birth and death, which, you know, is pretty much everything. Not really um, narrowed down apart from that um, of kind of American communities. Now, for the first episode, it's called Love Without Limits, which, as you say, is about not just polyamory, But polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. So what this means is essentially any relationship outside of a conventional um, monogamous relationship. So there's one couple that's a thruple, as in, there are three of them in a relationship. There is a much more, I suppose, conventional polyamorous situation where a um, a group of men and women are all in relationships with each other. Some are married, some are not married. Some have sex with some of them. Others don't have sex with others. Essentially, it's a much more of a free love setup. Um, and. I have to say, I think Louis Theroux has had a really amazing return to form um, recently in terms of documentaries. I don't know if anybody saw the anorexia one from, um, I think it was earlier this autumn. It wasn't that long ago. And it was incredible. And I think he revealed like a really different kind of fully empathetic part of himself. I can't remember seeing before in some of his kind of older documentaries. Um, I was quite disappointed by this, I have to say, because I think... Polyamory is obviously something that's been discussed for quite some time now. Um, And he goes to Portland, which is kind of the home of Polyamory. Portland is kind of the... Portland is the kind of hippie-ish, really unconventional, artistic enclave kind of place where people who think New York is too gentrified run away to, essentially. Um, And so he spends times with these couples. I didn't find it, I have to say... Particularly um, revelatory. I didn't get any sense of the real emotions and conflicts and troubles at the heart of this. And there were a couple of uh, moments where, you know, clearly one person in one of the situations wasn't as fully into the polyamory as his wife, for example. And Louis kind of prodded a little bit, but you never really got to the heart of what the problem is. So for me, his documentaries work best when you really get to the heart of the emotional and human issues that he's talking about, right? So if it's anorexia, he got some incredible... Interviews which gave some insight into what these girls were going through. The kind of um, conversations around anorexia I cannot remember ever seeing on screen and handled properly in a documentary. And for me on this one, you never got past the kind of shock of, you know, he kept going, oh, so who lies where? Oh, if you don't mind me asking, who lies where in bed? And oh, who touches who? And oh, do you have... Some? And they're quite kind of the basic questions that as a human being you want to know. <laughs> you know, you want to know those like practical yeah. things. Mm. But I didn't feel there was any sense of depth and and revelation beyond that. I didn't find it very satisfying, either intellectually or emotionally. Um, for me, it never got past kind of first space. There are two more after this, one of which looks at adoption, one of which looks at euthanasia. As I say, there's no (laughs) real link between them as far as I can see other than kind of their American communities that he's going into. So I I don't know. I I will probably give the second one a go, but I can't fully wholeheartedly recommend the first one.
2: I think... um I liked it more than you did, obviously. I think he's I think this was a, definitely a conscious a conscious attempt because I think all of a lot of his he, he also did he did a brilliant one about drugs, the drug yes. issue in America. And he's done a lot of prison-based ones with different convicts, you know, some and, and there's a lot of all of his recent documentaries until this one have been very heavyweight yes. and, and very serious subject matter, which is and I agree, have have been Absolutely brilliant, particularly the anorexia one. But, so I feel like this was a conscious thing, or I'm going to, because of course, you know, when we first got to know Luther, he was doing quite fairly well, comedic yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so this is definitely a lighter... One and I think that was a deliberate move on. In fact, if you listen, if you heard the Adam Buxton, you had a box up Adam Buxton podcast interview with him. No, yeah, Adam Buxton jokingly says, to him, "Is this? Have you, have you just stopped all the heavy ones? Can we have a bit of fun?" Yeah, and he goes, "Well, funnily enough, the first one is more fun." And so I think almost on his part, it was like, "Can we, you know, let's do something lighter?" And so I mean, there's a scene in it, the scene that sums up, I think, what you're getting at is that he goes to this evening of um, sensual food play among these people, where he takes his top off and he gets rubbed down and. And body shoulder massaged by a woman with her top off, and force-fed kind—not force-fed, but fed strawberries with chocolate and cheese—and it's like a funny. It's a really funny moment, and you think, "Well, good on him for really joining in this weird night of polyamorous fun." And you know, he mentions briefly that he had—he did tell his wife that he was having doing this, and she gave her consent. Mm. Kind of mingling with these free love people in this comic, comedic way, and it's funny. And you know, you think, "Oh, good on you, Louis. You know, you really got involved. You're taking your top off, and you're being rubbed." with chocolate strawberries but it's just it was just funny it wasn't really making any great points no and so and i did I, I came my main takeaway of the whole documentary was actually and i and i wonder with this is the flaw in the thing because when he goes and meets these people and sets up obviously you know the whole um, documentary you don't know what results you're going to come away with and i think maybe he thought he would get more of a kind of genius insight into this whole world. But actually, you come away with it thinking, it's kind of like every, all relationships. Yep. Sometimes there's a power, a power imbalance in these polyamorous relationships. As you say, there's the one guy who clearly is a bit sad well, that his was. wife wants to le- sleep with her other husband.
1: But that's what I was disappointed in because he was clearly in a lot of pain, that guy. And yeah. There was underneath the joking and the yeah. absurd questions about who lies on top and who lies to the left and yeah. what happens if you want to have sex and the other person's there. There is There was a shot. And in that shot, this guy who was walking up the stairs to leave his wife to have sex with the man she just got engaged to he the the devastation in that shot and they decided to keep that shot in for a reason but Mm. so you expected some follow-up which actually gets to the heart of of the um insecurities it causes the problems when you have one man who really wants to please his wife and allows her to sleep with other men but clearly doesn't philosophically really believe in polyamory and those for me are really fundamental questions about relationships and about love and about why we have monogamy and why people need monogamy and and what its function is in society. I think they're really interesting questions without it needing to be too heavy. I think if you're going to attempt to get into this world, you have to pair that with the kind of lighter stuff because otherwise an hour spent on, you know, funny questions about how a threesome actually works just isn't, doesn't feel satisfying to me and I feel like there were threads that were definitely just left mm. and abandoned and as you say, you can't force people to talk about things um, they don't want to but I didn't come away with any understanding, greater understanding of why polyamory works for some people and the consequences when polyamory goes wrong.
2: Mm. Well, I thought, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I feel in the way the answer is, they're just, it, it, it's like anything, it's like, is polyamory isn't any particularly more special than non. Then non-pyamory. don't make a
1: program on it. Do you know <laughs> well, what I mean? Like, my, this shoe is <laughs> but shit? You, don't you know. see this shoe I'm wearing? It's shit, <laughs> and it's no better than any other shoe. So why would I talk about the shoe? Because it was
2: still interesting to see. Him. And it was in that that guy that you're talking about, the guy who was so trudged upstairs, and clearly he was feeling sad and lonely. And he does ask, he does ask him, "Are you fine with this situation?" And he kind of goes, "Yeah, I'm fine with it, and he clearly isn't. But I think I felt I learned that despite any great follow ups and any great kind of. Um, but, why feel,
1: but why did he feel? But why did he that way? And how did he wow. agree to it? And why did he agree to it? And what imbalance did that cause? And his wife also clearly knew he was unhappy with it, and yet continued on anyway. What does? That, I mean, I just think there were bigger questions that fundamentally got to the heart of human relationships. Yeah, i that, that I don't think are special to polyamory, but I think polyamory puts a specific lens on them, which is what really, if you're going to make a whole documentary about it, you should be exploring.
0: Did either of you watch HBO's Big Love with the late, yes. great Bill yes. Paxton? Amazing. Which obviously deals with this issue, and it's extraordinarily yes. good. If n- yeah, it was great. If you're listening and you've never seen Big Love, I do heartily recommend you dig out a box. Yes. Uh, extraordinary performance, isn't that?
1: Agreed.
0: Anyway, it's on the iPlayer. It's, it's yeah. on the iPlayer. It was actually, it aired yesterday, so actually yeah. many of you <laughs> will have already seen it, yeah. but it is on the iPlayer if you haven't already seen it. So, you know. And then,
1: yeah, episodes two and three, the two consecutive yeah. Sundays after watch that.
0: Watch it, love it, and obviously, bring a friend.
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> next up, we're all whistles, glow sticks, and white Gloves, as is my understanding of young people going to nightclubs, uh, for Beat, which is Amazon's new drama set in the Berlin clubbing scene, which I can only imagine <laughs> is basically the episode of Spaced, where they all go clubbing with a lot more sort of 990 Luftballon.
2: It's exactly what it is, yeah. James. You've it. I mentioned this last week. I didn't mean to watch it, did I? Yeah, in, yeah. in our kind of, what else you it, I mentioned this last week because I've been watching it, uh, the previews that Amazon kindly made available to us. And this is, I think... Um, uh, this is a kind of part of the general Amazon-Netflix thing of not only um, giving us lavishly expensive American blockbuster series, but also they are investing... And they kind of, you know, I guess partly they feel they've got to have an international impact. They're investing in good original foreign dramas. So Netflix recently had Elite, that Spanish kind of incredibly um, fun and sexy teen drama, which I think was really good and mm. really kind of in- interesting fun. This is a German show... Beat, starting on Amazon Prime on Friday, dropping all in one go. And it's all about this guy called Robert Schlag, also known as Beat, who is, as you say, a Berlin Club promoter. He lives his whole life. His name is... Robert Schlag. Robert Schlag. At any point, I'll go, Robert, you Schlag. <laughs> you will. If they don't, it's a fucking you will. And he's, funnily enough, he is polyamorous, by the way. He is. Oh. yeah. In, in, in first, uh, first or second scene, he wakes up with. He's in the middle, after a threesome, you know, and he's kind of his 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 buddy and a and a girl are in bed, and that's just the life he leads. Everything about him is very, very current. And modern, so he loves his techno music, he loves his drugs, he loves polyamorous sleeping with anyone and everyone he can lay his hands on, he wants to sleep with him, and he knows everyone in, the, in, the, in Berlin. He knows all the, all the people who come through his clubs, uh, you know people dealing in drugs, body parts, um, they 're dodgy characters, criminals and so what happens is the whole idea of the story is that some mysterious, shady agency, some kind of like German version of the FBI or CIA employs him to go undercover because he knows everyone and everything that's happening in Berlin in the underworld to spy on the criminals that he meets in his nightclub situation. On top of that, there's a crazed serial killer who is randomly killing, seemingly randomly killing. Unfortunately, I have to say, Young women, and and part of what ruined it for me was that element of it because I quite enjoyed the whole. In episode one, it's kind of all you get to meet this guy; he's an engaging guy, and you feel oh, this is this is definitely like showing us how thrilling and sexy the whole world of Berlin and clubbing is, even though you wouldn't catch me in a million years Mm -hmm. going to club and listening to techno music. (laughs) But it's very well done. It's it's quite beautifully filmed. It's very cinematic. Then this whole serial killer thing comes in, and there's a lot of mutilated naked young women in it and i feel that's become such a cliche and mm. i'm not one of those people who feels like you know all crime dramas should be banned because they deal with yeah. that um and a lot of, and as we've said on this podcast before the, the main fan base of crime drama in general is female but there is something about the way this program is dealing with this killer of women and, and so far in, and i've watched three episodes so far it's a killer of women and there's a lot of scenes of you know of kind of of, of, of mutilated bodies and I feel it's just a bit of a cliche that element of it, it does, I don't, and at this stage in the series I don't know why it needs that element of it because the rest of the stuff him going undercover via his nightclubbing life is quite engaging and clever and, and and very well done so I'm you know it's it's interesting I'm glad that Amazon Prime is investing in this kind of stuff but the serial killer element is annoying me so that's Beat. It is on Amazon Prime uh, from, from on Friday. Wow. Mm. Okay. Uh, also out
0: this week, as a kind of FYI, is uh, Outlander Season 4, which returns to Amazon Prime. Uh, and while I love Ron D. Moore and did watch most of Season 1, I have long since lapsed, and life, frankly, was too short for me to pick it up again. Uh, but if you enjoy sort of bodice-ripping, time-travelling shenanigans, then uh, maybe give that a look as well. And that is it for another Pilot Pod. Before we go, we shall leave you with one recommendation each to tide you over for the next seven days. I will kick this off by saying please do tune in and watch episode three of Sally Forever, just so that it prepares you for the glory of episode four the week after. Good point.
2: Um, I would say if you haven't seen it, in fact, just watch it again and again, inside number nine, the live Halloween special, which is on iPlayer and does bear repeat viewing.
1: And I will say season two of The Sinner. If you haven't seen season one, binge it all in one go. You can do it in one weekend uh, and then line up season two.
0: Excellent. Uh, join us next week for more of the same, only with presumably less talk of pooing on people. I mean, <laughs> at least that's the hope. Do hop over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined, and follow us on Twitter at Pilot TV Mag. So remember to love as many people or Terry podcasts as possible until we return, but maybe leave the uh, dick-punching and kind of fecal-freaking to the professionals, I'm going to say. Goodbye.
2: Goodbye.
1: Bye.